0: Hey y'all, thanks for tuning in to today's episode. Before we dive into today's episode, I want to talk a minute about something very interesting that's going on here in South Carolina at the moment. On January the 3rd, just over a week ago, Over in Norway, which is in the Orangeburg area, a group of friends were out riding four-wheelers and decided to explore an abandoned home because they had heard it was haunted. Sounds like a good idea, right? On the back porch of the home was a deep freezer, and an 18-year-old that was in the group decided to open it. He told the authorities that the smell of rotten meat hit him, and he saw what appeared to be a dead body wearing only blue jeans and socks. Now, first of all, when that smell hit my nose, I probably would have just closed it and not even had seen what was in the freezer. I can't even imagine the feeling of opening a freezer and finding a body. And I can't get the thought of the smell of rotten meat that probably would have just made me slam it shut. Well, fast forward two days from that and that same house burned to the ground. The fire's under um, investigation, but it's considered suspicious and as of right now I don't believe they've determined what caused the fire. Now it was my mom that originally told me about the people discovering the body in the freezer and when she and I were talking about it I told her that the people who were exploring that home were lucky to have gotten out alive because it sounds like the beginning of a horror movie and now that house is burned down so that proves something fishy is going on there and someone still visits that property and obviously has something to hide. I even remember saying something like, "I wonder how many more bodies they'll find." When I was talking to my mom about it, and it kind of reminds me of um, when we talked about Bell Gunness's fires and murders from last week's episode. I plan to, as I learn more um, or w- when more information is released, I'll update the situation. Um, future episodes, but anyway, that conversation. Particularly the part about the beginning of a horror story that I mentioned to my mom inspired this week's episode. There's a lot of horror movies inspired by actual events. A lot of those movies are well known, like the Amityville Horror, The Conjuring, The Haunting in Connecticut, My Friend Dahmer, and a lot more. But there's some that's not as well known, and those are what I'm going to talk about today and the events that inspired them. So... The first one on my list is Albino Farm. It's a 2009 film written and directed by Joe Anderson and Sean McEwen, and it stars the famous wrestling star Chris Jericho. It's loosed basely on a legend of Spring Lawn Farm about some college students who went exploring the Ozark Mountains and never returned. The farm itself predates the Civil War and has been owned by a couple of families, including the Headleys and the Sheeties. It's located on North Spring Avenue or it was located on North Springlawn Avenue in Springfield, Missouri. Several legends of what happened there at the farm have been circulating for years. One legend says that the tract of land was more, was a home to an all albano family. Another legend says that an albino caretaker lived on the farm property, watching over his sisters who had never married and still lived on the farm to tend it. Now, the craziest legend that surrounds this farm is that somewhere located on the property was an underground hospital where a psycho doctor performed experiments on albinos. One of these legend goes on legends goes on to say that a murder. And a nearby bridge was carried out by a deranged Albano man who had become protective of the family who on the farm. Now, the story goes that a couple out on a date stopped on the bridge when the car they were in stalled. Before the boyfriend left the car to find help, he made his girlfriend promise that no matter what, she kept the doors locked and opened them for no one. Shortly after the boyfriend left, she heard a thump on the top of the car's roof, but she stayed true to her word and kept the doors locked. The next morning when the police arrived, it took them a while to convince the girl to open the doors, and when she finally did, they told her not to look around and escorted her away from the scene. What they didn't want her to see was her boyfriend hanging from a limb just above the car. It was believed that the albino caretaker was responsible for his demise. The building and the properties, or the farm and the buildings on the property, sorry about that, were destroyed in a fire in 1980 and were never rebuilt. But back in its heyday, the property was a popular recreation and vacation spot. Now, the movie itself is about four college students who are working on a history research project about. Backwood American Customs. Now, as they're driving along a country road, they almost hit someone with their car. At first, they think that it was like a small boy scraping roadkill off the road, but they're surprised to find it was a dwarf with a menacing appearance. After checking on him, they return to their car and find it has a flat tire, But they keep driving until they find a gas station that is ran by a sight-impaired man. They talk to him for a bit and find that he seems a little bit off or maybe eccentric. They buy a tire and are soon on their way again. Now their next stop is at a white tent in a field. Two of the students go to investigate it and talk to a person there who has a cleft palate. He tells them about the albino farm and hints that it may just be a legend. In the white tent, a revival is taking place, and the man insists that the college students attend because they need salvation. But they turn down his invitation and continue driving until they find a diner to stop for a quick meal. The two guys in our story are immediately smitten by a hot waitress until they notice that her hands are deformed and her fingers look like claws. They split up from this point, and two of them go looking for the albino farm, while the other two stay behind and talk to an elderly lady inside of a church who tries unsuccessfully to convince them that there is no such thing as this albino farm. The two that have left to find the farm stop and ask a boy, For directions to this farm but this boy only communicates by writing on a chalkboard and so he tells them to ask some teens and this is where levi who is played by chris jericho comes in levi and his friends who are hearing impaired agree to take them to the farm from there it takes on that typical teens trapped in hillbilly hell feeling it's a bit predictable but it's still worth a watch If I had to compare it to another movie that you're probably familiar with, it would be the Wrong Term Movies. Now, at this time, I couldn't find it on any of the streaming services, but the DVD is available to purchase on Amazon. Now, another interesting movie loosely based on actual events is the 1974 film Deranged. It's somewhat based on the serial killer Ed Gein, and follows Ezra Cobb, who is middle-aged Midwestern man, who begins a string of serial murders and robbing graves after the death of his mother. Now, where this film steers away from Ed Gein is where our character, Ezra, delights in necrophilia. But much like Ed, Ezra's mother has raised him to be a misogynist, which is someone um who has a prejudice against women. Ed Gein also inspired many other horror movies, movie characters, including Norman Bates in Psycho, Leatherface in Chainsaw Massacre, or in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, sorry, Buffalo Bill in The Silence of the Lambs, and Dodger Oliver Threadson from the TV show American Horror Story Asylum, which, by the way, is my all time favorite season of AHS. So, now who was Ed Gein? Mr. Gein was born in 1906 in La Crosse County, Wisconsin. His mom, Augusta, was very religious, and so that her kids Ed and his older brother, Henry, weren't influenced by the ways of the world, she saved her money that she earned from running a grocery store and bought a farm on the outskirts of town. Ed only left the farm to go to school. His time on the farm was spent doing farm chores and being preached to by his mother. She wholeheartedly believed and drilled the fact into her boy's heads that all women, with the exclusion of her self, of course, were prostitutes and instruments of the devil. And that always, you know, makes me think of, um, the mama water boy, girls are the devil and himself had feminine characteristics and was the target for bullies. To further isolate him, his mother scolded him when he tried to make friends. Ed and his brother tried to keep their mother, Augusta, happy, but she was a very hard-to-please woman, and she often abused them. After their father died in 1940, both boys started doing odd jobs to help out with the family's expenses. Ed would often babysit, and he really enjoyed it because he felt that he could relate to children more than adults. And that's probably because he never had a normal childhood, Um, but that's just my thought. His brother Henry started detaching from their mother and started worrying about the attachment Ed still had with Augusta. Henry despised the view of the world that his mother had and started speaking negatively about her around Ed, trying to get him to see that she was harming him. In the May of 1944, a brush fire broke out near their home on the farm, and the two brothers went out to try to put out the fire. The brothers became separated at some point, and as the dark of night closed in, Ed lost sight of Henry. After the fire was put out, Ed told the police that his brother was missing. Ed then led a search party straight to Henry's body. The police had suspicions about Henry's death because where he was found laying had been touched by the fire and he had bruises on his head. Despite these unsettling circumstances, the police dismissed foul play and the coroner listed asphyxiation as the cause of death. The next year, Augusta died leaving Ed on the farm all alone. Ed boarded up the rooms that his mother had used, including the entire upstairs, the downstairs parlor, and the living room. They were left the way his mother had kept them. Shortly after his mother's death, Ed decided he wanted a sex change and began making himself a woman's suit from human flesh so that he could pretend to be a woman. So how did he obtain the skins that he used? Ed's life began a downward spiral after his mother's death, he had hallucinations of his mother telling him to kill certain women in their town. In 1954, he killed tavern owner Mary Hogan, and then in 1957, he killed hardware store owner Bernice Worden. The last receipt that Ms. Worden had written in her hardware store before she disappeared had been to Ed Gein, linking him to her murder. When police searched his property, they found Bernice's cap, uh, decapitated body in his shed, hung upside down by ropes at her wrists and a crossbar at her ankles. Her torso was dressed out like that of a deer. She had been shot with a twenty two caliber rifle and the mutilations had taken place after her death. But more than just Bernice's mutilated body had been found when the property was searched. Police found four noses, Whole human bones and fragments. Nine masks made of human skin. Bowls made from human skulls. Ten female heads with the tops sawed off. Human skin covering several chair chair seats. Bernice Worden's head in a burlap sack. Mary Hogan's head in a paper bag. Nine vulvas in a shoebox. Skulls on his bedpost, organs in the refrigerator, a pair of lips on the drawstring of a window shade, a belt made from female human nipples, and a lampshade made from the skin of a human face. Wow. When Ed was questioned, he told police that between 1947 and 1952, He made as many as 40 trips to three local graveyards at night to exhume recently buried bodies. Ed claims that he was in a trance-like state when he made these visits to the cemeteries. And on about 30 of these occasions, he came out of this trance while he was there and immediately left without taking anything. In all, he admitted to robbing nine graves. During questioning, now I may not pronounce this correctly, but Washara County Sheriff Art Sheely allegedly assaulted Ed, banging his head and face into a brick wall to get a confession. Now, this confession was ruled as inadmissible. However, the sheriff did testify during Ed's trial, and a month after the trial, the sheriff passed away from a heart attack. His friends and family said that Sheely was so traumatized by the horrors of Gein's crimes and that, along with his fear of having to testify against Gein, including the fact that he assaulted Gein, took its toll on Sheriff's health. In November of 1957, Gein was arraigned on one count of first-degree murder but was found mentally incompetent to stand trial and was sent to Central State Hospital for the Criminally Insane. But in 1968, his doctors determined he was sane enough to stand trial. He was found guilty, but because he had previously been declared insane, he was sentenced to spend the rest of his life in the mental hospital. Ed Gein passed away in 1984 due to respiratory and heart failure caused by cancer. Deranged is available on streaming services. Um, on the streaming services of net of. Epics and Apple TV right now. And last we have *The Lords of Chaos* is from 2018, and it's not really a horror movie, but it's worth a watch. Now it was adapted from the 1998 book of the same name, and is a historical fi- a historical fiction account of the early 90s Norwegian black metal scene told from the perspective of the Mayhem co-founder, Euronymous. So in 1987, Euronymous formed a black metal band named Mayhem. Not sure if you're familiar with the band, but there's some controversy that surrounds them. If you are familiar, then I'm sure you already know this story. I do like their music, so don't think of this as me insulting them at all. Now, so that I don't slaughter anyone's name, I'm only going with the stage names on this one. The lead singer of Mayhem was known by his name, or named by stage name, Dead, and exhibited erratic behavior on the stage, such as cutting himself and bleeding on the audience, throwing pigs' heads at those that he felt were posers, and other shenanigans. On April 8, 1991, Dead kills himself using his personal knife to cut his arm and throat. And when that didn't do the job, he used a shotgun that was owned by Euronymous to shoot himself in the forehead. When Euronymous returns home and finds Dad's body, instead of calling the police, now this part, I'm not sure, is 100% accurate, but the movie portrays him as driving to a convenience store to to buy a disposable camera and then drives back and takes photos of the body and even rearranges the gun and knife. After the body is finally taken to the morgue, Euronimus gives the other band members necklaces, which he claimed contained parts of dead dead skull. Now, this led to the basis for mayhem. His name was Necro Butcher to leave the band. I mean, with a name like Necro Butcher, how can you be offended by being gifted a piece of your friend's skull on a necklace? After all of the fallout, Euronimus opened... A record store where a lot of popular Norwegian music stars hung out. So he recruited new band members, including Faust from Emperor and Varg, who was a fan of Mayhem's. Not long after, they recorded their first album and were able to do so because of a financial donation by Varg's mom. It's good to see parents believing and helping make their kids' dreams come true, right? Now, not long after recording the first album, a power struggle arises between Euronymous and the new band member named Varg. An interesting note about Varg is that Mayhem met him after a show one night, or this is what the movie shows, is that they met, um, it was like in a little diner type um, thing, but this was after one of Mayhem's shows. And um, back then, varg was known as christian they kind of thought he was a poser and they just kind of dismissed him um a string of church burnings takes place across the region and faust is accused of murdering a homosexual man the movie portrays this murder as faust being sexually harassed by the man varg thinks it would be a good it would be good publicity for the man if they make it known that they're responsible for the church burnings. So, he contacts the reporter and gives him information in an interview claiming that the black circle, aka the elite inner circle of Euronymous's friends, were responsible for the church burnings and even for the death of a homosexual man. Now, Euronymous didn't think that was a good idea and he tried to talk him out of it, but Varg went ahead with that. Um, but soon after, Varg is arrested and Euronymous is beyond pissed. Varg was later re- released from jail because of a lack of evidence. Out of anger, Euronymous vents to a friend that he wants to kill Varg, but later comes down and meets Varg to discuss future plans, including releasing music rights to Varg. Later, Euronymous mailed a contract to Varg stating that their rights to the music were released to Varg, and that he would soon pay Varg the money he owes him. Varg had heard that Euronymous wants to kill him, and in the early morning hours of August the 10th, he traveled to Oslo to confront Euronymous. He got into Euronymous' apartment by telling him that he wanted to sign the contract, but once he was inside Varg's um. Uran- um apartment, Varg starts stabbing Euronimus. As Euronimus begs for his life, Varg follows him through the apartment to the stairwell outside and stabs him to death. Varg is soon arrested and sentenced to a maximum of 21 years for the murder of Euronimus and the burning of several churches. Now, remember those pictures that I mentioned earlier that Euronimus took of dead before calling the police? One of those pictures was used on the cover of one of the band's um, albums. I believe it was the 1995 album, The Dawn of Black Hearts. Varga was uh, released from prison in 2009 and moved to France with his wife and children, where he continues to make and write music. Now, I know that since I mention it, you're probably going to want to see the cover of that album, if you haven't already seen it. I do have to warn you that it's a bit graphic. So, you know, if you're the least bit squeamish, just skip looking at it. Now, at the moment, Lords of Chaos is available on Hulu and Apple TV. Something to keep in mind, though, is if you do decide to watch it, this movie isn't 100% based on facts. And when the movie's coming on, it does say it's based on truth and lies. Euronymous is portrayed by... Rory Culkin, and you might know his famous brother from Home Alone movies. Other actors include Emery Cohen as Varg, Jack Kilmer as Dead, and Sky Ferreira as Anne Merritt. It seems like I told you the entire story, but there's a lot more to it, and I really ha- highly recommend watching it um, if you haven't already seen it. So now I'm going to switch gears um, to remind y'all that the new moon is coming up on January the 13th. That's two days from this recording day on the 11th. Um, but it's on the 13th at 12.02 a.m. Eastern Time. And it's going to bring some major changes for four zodiac signs. For the Aries, this new moon is calling on you to put some serious thought into planning your future, especially in the career sense. If you're unhappy with your current job, it's a good time to start looking for something else. If you're happy with the job you have, start a new project that really makes your skills shine and it impresses your boss. For the cancers, a new start at love is heading your way. It's time to start working really hard on what you, you know, thinking about what you really want out of a relationship. If you're already dating somebody, now is the time to take things to the next level. But if you're single, use this energy to look into yourself and see how you can be the better half of a future relationship and learn to speak up for yourself about what you need from your partner. Libras, if you're not feeling like your usual social butterfly self, and trust me, most of us don't these days. um, It doesn't matter what sign but. Just know that this is a-okay, and this is the perfect time to really get into your domestic side and tend to what needs tending to close to home. Cook yourself a healthy meal. Do some of those chores you've been putting off, and you could practice a little self-care too. I have found that when you clear the clutter around you, it improves your energy and focus. And for us Capricorns, things are going to get shaken up, especially with Pluto, And the sun joining the planetary party that's currently going on. So this new moon for Capricorns is all about you. Building new beginnings and embracing your most authentic self. Listen to your heart and be the author of your journey. You hold that pen. Also, your creative juices are flowing, so go with them. I have to say this is very true for me right now because... I've been cranking out some jewelry lately and decided to reopen my Etsy shop. Well, that's all I have for today. Thanks for listening. And I also want to thank y'all for, as of right now, there's over 700 downloads of the podcast. And this is only episode four, so the sky's the limit. Um, But as always, if you have any, sorry, I feel like I'm getting a crud this morning. But if you have an episode idea, comments, questions, or just want to say, hey, shoot me an email at mysterymurdermagic at gmail.com. And that's M is in Mary, Y-S-T-E-R-Y, M as in Mary, U-R-D-E-R, M as in Mary, A-G-I-C-K at gmail.com. And also be sure to check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash three, and that's the number three, Emma's and Mary podcast. Have an awesome week.